Welcome to a podcast that is not being presented by Chris Beely today. Um, I'm going to present today, and my name is Zoe Turner. I'm a data scientist at Nottinghamshire Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust and a senior fellow for NHS R Community. And I'm joined today by some delightful trainers for NHS R Community and beyond. Firstly, we have Anastasia Saranova. Senior Economic Manager in NHS England and Improvement. In a previous role in the Strategy Unit, Anastasia has provided training on evaluating complex interventions and simulation in R. She's also a project manager of NHSR Community. She is passionate about training and knowledge sharing. And we also have Annie Yu, Epidemiological Programmer at Hertfordshire County Council. She works in the development of shiny dashboards, automating reporting and visualizations for public health management and COVID-19 surveillance more recently. She does internal R training and held a workshop about interactive plotting for NHSR, which is fabulous, by the way, and you can find links to it through YouTube. And finally, we've got Simon Wellesley-Miller, Senior Analytical Manager, NHS England and Improvement, lead for primary care, public health, mental health and quality in the southwest region of England. He's run training in R and other analytical techniques and also recently some statistical work and keen to know more meaningful analytics as BAU. (laughs) Business as usual. Business as usual. That's a good one for Tom to clean up later. Okay, well, we'll start with some questions and things now. I would like to pose to the three fabulous trainers that we have here today, why should analysts or data scientists within the NHSR community even be delivering training? This is not necessarily something that we've come to before, but we're getting involved with. I would like to start with Annie. What What are your thoughts on this? Oh, right. I mean, I remember I became a trainer out of necessity. I kind of self-taught myself how to do certain things in R, and I had to train others in my team who didn't know how to do them. And then it sort of became the standard that, you know, I would train new starters as part of their induction. I thought it was a really great way to get to know people, especially if they're new to it. Uh, and it provides a good first impression for, for both of us. I feel like the same when I do training externally, it's a good way to get your name out and network in a way, because I think most people who attend training sessions will remember their trainer most of all, and they will remember their trainer as well as the material covered. And it kind of establishes you as the person that's knowledgeable in that area, which is really good. It's a good impression to all the people who attended. So yeah, I, I think it really gets your name out there as well as just being, you know, altruistic and sharing your knowledge. That's wonderful. Simon, <laughs> do you have any views on um, why should we do this? Yeah, I mean, just echoing a lot of what Ali just said, um, you know, there is definitely something about getting your own skills and, and sort of sharing those around. I think definitely sort of as NHS analysts, I think it's really important that we sort of train our own. The data sets that we're working with are so different to the sort of just generic ones. I've been to so many courses where you go and work out the quarterly sales of such and such a company and work out your profit, blah, yada, yada, yada. And that's just not the kind of stuff that we're doing. You know, we, we, we've got very specific data sets and, being able to learn and ask those real world questions of, you know, how do I calculate the mean length of stay or or, all of those sort of things are much, much more applicable. So, and I think, you know, talking that same language to to analysts as they're learning is is really really important so definitely get that and you know there's uh, you know a massive buzz that you get as a trainer when you know your your trainees actually you know start picking this stuff and start using it in anger and ask really interesting questions which sort of you don't necessarily need to you know you don't know the answer to and you you increase your knowledge as well so you know it's definitely a sort of a, a 360 thing anastasia 
Your yeah, name. I think this podcast risked being very boring because I want to agree with Simon and Annie as well. But I think being economist, just bringing a different perspective, I feel like training analysts and NHS can save the NHS so much money because uh, things will be done efficiently. If uh, you know, I did, for example, training uh, on evaluation, economic relations, and then also many teams around me had to do the same thing and then if we can teach each other if we can learn from each other we will do things more efficiently um so i feel like this is yeah on, on the top of obviously just making the doing something good for for the community i think thinking about saving taxpayers money is always a bonus because there is never uh, ever enough budget and uh yeah i mean I, the thing as well is just yeah simon said it's very nice to actually see how people who you taught then come back to you and said that they use this or that they ask you more questions which means that they're actually learning and developing so yeah it's nice a nice mix and gives you warm uh warm fuzzy feeling and uh, yeah an altruism is very economic well. I love that. Absolutely. I love that ending. It's actually going to be good for financially for the NHS and, and other organizations that work with us. I like that so much. Another question then that we're going to consider, and I think this is it's obviously much bigger now during the pandemic period because we, we delivered a lot of the training and training was just delivered face to face, but we've moved online and we may have this opportunity of mixing it a bit. So it's interesting to see your views if you've trained before and how it varies or how you've got on with it being online and whether you like it uh, to continue in the future. So I will start with Annie. Yeah, I mean, I, I have done an in-person training uh, for R and then obviously an online training after COVID. So I do remember pros and cons for both. I think in general, I, I like the accessibility of online training a lot because it's really easy for people to join a training session now. You don't have to book in like a physical venue. It's easier for the trainer and people being trained as well. There are cons to training online, like people just not really speaking and interacting with the trainer and that kind of stuff. But I feel like when I did the physical training, I did have some of that as well. Like I ask an open-ended question, people wouldn't really raise their hands or there'd be silence in the room. Obviously it's dependent on, you know, the crowd that you get every time. But I feel like overall, I feel like online and I would definitely do more online training than physical. Ooh, that's an interesting thing. Yes. Okay. Anastasia, have you, you did both, didn't you? You've done a bit of online and in person. Yes. Um, yes. I think when we started, um, big shout out now to uh, my previous team, when we started doing uh, action learning set on uh, descriptive and simulation in primary care, it, we started to try before pandemic. So we had first few sessions without knowing what, what is lying ahead. And yes, I agree with Annie. I think there are definitely pros and cons. And cons, and I think cons-wise, it's the same as with any presentation you do online now. If people don't have their cameras on, you have no idea what's happening. You can't read body language. You can't uh, see if actually things you say make any sense at all. So yeah, I definitely agree about the problem when people don't have their cameras on and not not interacting. Uh, but in the in the same time, I feel like it's well, this also might be bad and good thing, but it's now easier to go to the training. You don't need to sign up from your line manager. You don't have to travel all the way to big city, for example, if training is in Birmingham, but you live not in Birmingham. But on the other hand, though, because it's so easy to sign off, I think there is huge risk to then keep checking your email while receiving training. Now I'm speaking as 
trainee rather than trainer. So yeah, I think there is this new reality we all need to live and uh, definitely a slightly, slightly shorter uh, uh, attention span. Yeah, it can be quite intense, can't it, in a whole day? And that brings me to Simon as well, because uh, I delivered the introduction to R&R studio training as a whole day, but I was introduced to this idea of just splitting it into two over two days from you, Simon. So that was a wonderful discovery on my part through you. So how did you come up with that idea and how do you find Um, it? Just just easier to to, to manage, I think, uh, to, to some extent. And I think it meant that people weren't absolutely bombarded within one day. Um, and, yeah, it just gives a bit more of a breather. I mean, going back to the, the face-to-face stuff, I do kind of miss having that lunchtime little bit of a break where there's that little bit of a chance for people who are a little bit stuck to have a bit of a safer space to come and ask some questions. I do try to sort of keep that on when I am doing online but it's obviously not quite the same and I you know I do try to make sure that there is some time at the, the start and end of uh, any any electronic session that you know that that's that's possible you know one thing I really do like about the online training and to me I implement a lot is you know when people do get stuck is there is that wonderful let's share your screen and let everybody have a look at it and let's see if we can debug that as, as a team and sort of hand it over you know, in the olden days, I'd have to come around and sort of sit with them. But, you know, we can kind of throw that out and try to make it a little bit more interactive that way. You know, without a doubt, there are days where you feel like you're just talking into a screen and nobody's giving any sort of feedback. So you just kind of got to force it out of people to, to some extent and make sure that everybody is is up there. But, yeah, I think both have got pros and cons. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's definitely some pros about doing it online and, yeah, having it over two days just i say just just breaks it down a little bit and just gives a little bit for people to also have that little bit of a thinking space around okay i've learned this and then they can come back in the morning and you can have a bit of a wash-up session much much easier than uh, uh yeah having it sort of face to face so yeah pros and cons. Kind of let your subconscious think about things and then you come back and go, oh yeah actually this didn't sink in very well or i thought about this or this didn't work yeah it's a good idea and again giving it that two days Sorry, giving that to you, it just, just gives you about an extra sort of half an hour to an hour to sort of do some of that wash up and just make sure that, you know, everybody have, if they have got a question, that they can chuck that in there. And this might be a controversial or a debatable point about whether we do exercises or not, or how much we put emphasis on them, or even homework, if it's set over a couple of days, you might be able to set something to be brought back at the next point. Some of the courses we have done have included it in various degrees and some of them have very little it depends on how people deliver it as well so Anastasia you had homework for your longer course that you had how you're an advocate of homework and exercises oh yeah I'm a big fan of homework I, I think I'm I can see people like because uh, you're doing this podcast on the zoom call I can see people laughing but yes I like <laughs> constant A plus student in school and university give me homework. It's my only way to, it might be something psychological actually, um, but yeah, it's, it's funny that you asked. I think homeworks are great. And when, yeah, and when I'm thinking about homeworks, I feel like it's actually not that different from just doing training and then coming back to the same problem, the same question months later, let's say I went to Zoist training about introduction to R and then I had to do some simple data wrangling months after on my data set. So I feel like it's not that different from just getting homework, which is 
getting data from Zoe and then doing this and then checking it with Zoe. The only difference that when I do it in real life for my boss, there is no Zoe around. Although, uh, sh shout out to Slack because Zoe is always on Slack. So I'm sure she would mind answering my questions. So yes, I feel like homeworks are great and I think they worked really well. Uh, so the way I set it up is it was for these evaluating complex interventions course, which sounds very, very dramatic, but in fact, it was just uh, regressions and uh, some kind of applied econometrics methods in R. So I offered people to either use some dummy data or their own data, and uh, we just had some sort of drop-in sessions to ask the questions. Obviously, not everyone had time for homework because we all analysts. We are not students in university anymore, but I would say possibly both thought people would come uh, at least thought would come and ask their questions. So yes, I think it was it was good experience for everyone. And some people did come with their own data as well. So it's That's kind cool. of uh, homework versus co kind of plus coaching, mixed of coaching, I guess. So it's mm. not traditional homework, homework. And Annie, what? Are, how do you do? You, we I think you've done the introduction to R and R Studio, which tends to be like a, a unit in itself. But have you done exercises? Have you extended the exercises through that course? Because I know when I've done it, I've I've been avoiding giving people that. But I think people do need a bit of time, maybe. But I've never been very good at demanding people do exercises. Yeah, I like exercises. I think because I think it kind of forces. You know, because when you're doing an online course, especially like you don't know if people are following along to what you're doing, but the exercise kind of just gives them a little nudge to actually do it. Um, you know, whether you want them to show there's proof or not, that's up to the trainer. But, you know, I feel like for most people, it provides that nudge to, you know, to, to those people that may be inactive during the course. I also do this other training session for interactive plotting, and I also give exercises for that. And for that one, I make sure to include an answer sheet as well. So like all the code to like answer the exercises is available to everyone at the same time. So, you know, you always get those keen people that will do the exercises without looking at answers and they'll be, you know, very on top of things. They'll be listening to everything. They'll be live coding during the entire thing. And those people, you know, they don't need the answer sheet clearly, but then you also get people who aren't really following along or they're a bit distracted because they have a busy job or, you know, for whatever reason they can use the answer sheet. And I think that provides like kind of a good balance to it. So yeah, I, I like using exercises, but I like putting in the answers because I some people might need it. And actually, after listening to Anastasia talk about homework, I actually feel quite inspired to like maybe design some homework of my own for the, um, the plotting course that I do, because it would be amazing if I could see like some of the people come up with their own plots using like, you know, some of the co-suggestions that I do. So actually I may look into that and stage. That's cool. Oh, oh, so it's not really a debatable <laughs> subject. This is actually a convincing <laughs> subject. I like having solutions. I'm somebody who struggles myself with getting the answer because I was like, what am I supposed to be looking for? So sometimes I work backwards. So I get the solution, but I'm working out how that solution works. So I think yeah. that's an excellent point to include that. But Simon, do you do something similar for your courses? Uh, no, I'm going to be the voice of dissent. I, <gasps> I detest homework, <laughs> only from a very personal basis, because I've had far too much of it recently. But no, I think that the principle is absolutely fine. And I think as long as 
you know, you're giving something where people are can either come up with something themselves, they can adapt something that's that's available, they can just have that little bit of confidence of troubleshooting something themselves, and you know, I know what it's like whenever you're learning anything, it's a really scary thing, and you know, nine times out of ten, it's gonna it's gonna error. It's the uh, you know, especially when uh, if if you're coming from coming to R from something like SQL or Excel no doubt you're going to get tripped up by case sensitivity or something like that. You've just put a capital in at the start of a thing and it's, you know, th those things throw you all the time. So yeah, I guess if you've got something where you can just muddle through in a relatively safe and straightforward way and, you know, perhaps have got the answers, that would be a, a really, really good thing. And I, you know, I really like the, if you've given somebody enough tools to be able to come up with a plot and sort of tweak it slightly and, you know, who can come up with the most craziest, colorfulest, silliest plot for the, for the next day or something without, you know, that, that would be, that would be a good, a good That's idea competitive element there to the homework who can come up with the the most terrible visualization and i have heard that as a as a learning technique because you're trying to deliberately make it look terrible you're actually learning by making it look terrible which also then kind of brings to how responsible we are for people's learning because we are thinking about how these courses can be better how we learn and it, it's i'm very aware and i think this is what some of the trainers have said previously is that you can get a sense that you that people come out and they know they, they really took a lot from this they needed very little input and they just went away with it but there are others who have really struggled or there are concepts in there that were just completely new depending on their previous experience and how responsible do we feel about trying to get them up to the standards where they feel more comfortable to explore things within our and our studio Anastasia have you ever encountered that kind of I mean because you you've produced a course in a sense haven't you so that's a long-term thinking plan for how people are learning i think it's yeah as a also as a absolute control freak uh i feel like we are responsible i want to say we are responsible however yes uh you cannot make people learn something if they don't want you so i think you sometimes just need to make sure you yeah, you don't, you don't push it you don't like you, you're not being this one of these teachers in uh, in school who then properly affect holiday life of their students. I think uh, it's very important to, you're, I think you're responsible in, in the sense of things you can control for. So if you can control for, you can control for people concentrating during online course and not doing something else behind their cameras being off, but you can control for things like uh, trying, adjusting for different learning styles, offering different options for homework, uh, offering no homework and make, make sure it's not mandatory because yeah people's availability will be different also you know try to pitch it to correct uh, level as well although this might be an issue because i think this is something all of us might have been accountant with because when we for example have like nhsr workshops we, we try to be very clear which level our course is for however there might be people who are coming and being either, either bored because it's very below the level of being very confused and also bored because it's a bit above. So yes, just be clear what, what level you pitch it, uh, think about planning and yeah, I think you're responsible as long as you can control things yourself. Simon, you've done some um, explanatory things uh, for a couple of conferences like the AFA conference, which you broke down a box plot, which I then shared actually at one of the training courses I did and made it really, really 
accessible and understandable, it's very easy to overlook these things. So I feel like you have given quite a lot of thought to breaking down really complex things. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, basically, I'm an idiot. So if I can explain it to myself, then, you know, everybody else has got a chance. It's probably how I how I picture it. So, yeah, I absolutely try to break it down to the simplest and the most usable components. You know, I think, you know, as, as a trainer, when we're delivering this course, you know, I know some people are coming from a SQL background and, you know, are used to coding. So you can kind of tackle that and you can explain things in, in one way. Um, you know, we get a lot of people who have just come in with an Excel background and they've not done any sort of coding whatsoever. So, you know, trying to explain that a join is basically a fancy way of doing a VLOOKUP and trying to explain it in a more Excel way to people or saying, you know, we're doing this dplyr. If we're doing a if we're doing a mutate, that's adding a new uh, that's adding a new column. If we're doing a summarize, all that's doing is creating a pivot table. But just trying to explain it to, in in those kind of ways to to people in as many different ways as possible. I, yeah, obviously, I wouldn't want to explain a, a SQL pivot table to anybody because nobody in the world understands those. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just trying to tackle it in as as in many different ways as, as possible is you know really really important. So, and just keep it as absolutely as simple and as accessible as as you can because um, simple and accessible. And Annie, have you struggled with ensuring that because if you mentioned how people have their cameras off it's very difficult to see people or even in person you were saying you didn't always get feedback it can be yeah. a bit difficult to know where you're pitching it and if it's right yeah i mean i definitely agree with the uh, you know simon and anastasia i feel like i don't have too much to add but i mean i guess i will say that's like i do the usual like encouragement during the session just like trying to assure everyone that like you can't ask questions you can't interrupt me um, if you don't understand, do let me know. Do ask questions. Like, I'm a very nice person, I promise. Um, you know, if you cut me off, I won't hate you. In fact, I will probably love you for it um, because then, you know, I, I do want more people um, interacting with me as a trainer. So, you know, I just try to, like, be extra friendly with people and, you know, coachable, you know, in a way. Um, and also, like, at the end of, you know, my training sessions, I do try to get some sort of feedback if I can. Like, maybe I can send them... Uh, I've done this a few times where I send them like a survey link afterwards where they can then, you know, send some anonymous feedback into, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how useful did you find it? How likely will you use it in your work? And then like an open-ended question about where to improve and that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously I listen to that advice for next time. Otherwise, you know, it is due to, you know, the person, the individual itself, how much they're going to pay attention. I also feel like, we shouldn't, as trainers, always blame ourselves if not everybody is paying attention because some people could honestly just be there out of curiosity. They're not there to like seriously take up these skills. They kind of just want to know what's going on. Um, and I think that's perfectly fair and that we should, you know, allow for people who are like that to also just be in these training sessions. And we shouldn't always blame ourselves. If they don't interact. <laughs> I think that's a lovely thing and echo the sentiment of how lovely the NHSR community is. We we love questions, we love interactions, we love this work and that's that's part of what comes across in our training and hopefully in this podcast too. So I'd like to thank my guests today, Simon, Annie and Anastasia. They're all trainers or have been trainers or will be trainers in the future for um, some of the NHSR workshops and 
courses that we put on and webinars. Thank you so much for your time and your experience in uh, sharing your information and things that you've gathered over the period of time, both in person and through virtual COVID period that we've had. Thank you and goodbye.